Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more info. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared during each podcast are the beliefs of Inside 20 Associates and the guests participating. Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia members, we've got a membership hunt coming up. It's October 21st to the 23rd. It's going to be at West Point WMA and adjacent Corpse of Engineer properties. It is going to have camping available at Whitetail Ridge Campground. And your contact for this hunt, if you need some more information or you are planning to go, is Seth Holland. His number is 678-860-1280. If you need some more information, give Seth a call. We look forward to seeing everybody out there on October the 21st. We're excited to welcome a legend in the outdoor industry, Mr. Warren Womack. In 2021, he was inducted into the Louisiana chapter of Outdoor Legends. Why, you might ask? Well, that's due to his ability to document professionally scribed details for nearly 400 personal deer harvest. This has provided keen research for thousands of people who love to hunt. His first bow kill took place in 1969, and since then, he's been writing about it. Several hunting magazines have posted him and talked about uh, his journeys on different podcasts. We are excited and just want you to know we're just really over the moon to have this opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate y'all's interest, and uh, hopefully we can have a good conversation tonight. Oh, I'm sure that'll be the case. So I want us to talk about, there's kind of two topics that we've discussed and just listening to your content that you've talked about and some of the stuff you've posted. Uh, a lot of stuff we've seen initially was, was on Facebook um, and all the stories that you post on a weekly basis. But the the biggest thing is just the, uh, the aspect of recording hunts. Um, you've done it through audio, video, and written journals through all these years. You've got all these data points that I've heard about. Um, all these different uh, different statistics that you've you've been able to uh, put together and, and kind of give you a better idea of you know when's a good time of year to hunt or you know uh, when's you know good weather and, and areas to hunt and, and just it's kind of giving you uh, the research that you needed to be able to sit in better places that might present you know more more of a uh, an opportunity to get a deer within uh, within bow range. With that being said, my, my first question is, I just want you to talk about, you know, how many hours a week have you been able to hunt during, say, a full season? I do know I've averaged 195 hours per season. And at the end of this past season, I've hunted 2,361 days, made a total hunts that's bow and gun, or 3,537. I've seen 6,520 deer from a tree stand. I've made... 1,832 sightless hunts where I didn't even see a deer and I have 8,980 hours on stand. And, uh, and I've made total 2,136 bow hunts. Now I count a bow hunt if I hunt an hour in a tree, I set up and I'm in a tree for an hour, I consider that a hunt. I figure I had plenty of time and I've killed a lot of deer inside that first hour too. So I consider that a hunt and I've had days where I only made one hunt. I've had days when I made three or four hunts and I've had one or two days that I made five different hunts instead of instead of going in the woods and, 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 and hunting all day from daylight to dark at the same spot. I preferred to, I was so mobile and, and uh, mobile that uh, I, I could move from one place to the other and be in a tree in, in less than 10 minutes. You know, it's it real easy using spurs and homemade lock-on stand. You know, hunting like that, I just, instead of sitting in one stand all day, seeing the same thing all the time, I might hunt four or five different places, taking advantage of morning movement, midday movement, uh, afternoon movement, late movement, depend on the wind and the weather and a lot of things. So it wasn't just one or two days of hunt or something like that. It could be multiple day hunt. Wow. It's uh, fascinating to me after just hearing the, the vast amount of data that you've been able to record and the stories and the details throughout all these years of uh, have been in the woods and all your experiences. And I've seen uh, there's journeys or journals that you can record you know, or like all your your hunts throughout like one season. I've seen some companies selling some things like that. And at first when I saw that, I thought it was a good idea, but you know, it just seemed like a little bit of extra effort at the time. Uh, but now after 
seeing you have done this throughout pretty much your, you know, most of your life uh, and, and all your hunting season, all the time you put in the woods and being able to go back and relive that at this point. I mean, what would you say? How, how many of those hunts and details do you feel like at this point, if you wouldn't have done that, would have remembered them, right? Well, I mean, at, at a certain point, it just all becomes a blur. Yeah, we're talking about 55 years, so 55 years. So, you know, I, I kill a lot of deer, and, and there's no way I could remember half of them. But right now, I got pictures of them. I got video of every deer I've killed, show and tell, if not air impact or, or whatever. Uh, I got videos of them, and, and I got a season video for every season since 91. You know, I had a heyday. I'm, I'm in my down, downward uh, last days of my hunting right now, you know, being the age I am. and uh, But I, ain't no way I could remember all that. But I got, uh, oh, that's, I don't know how many, 30, 36 years or 30 years of video there uh, of the whole season. Anything that happened during that season, I had my video camera on it. I got a season video for each one. Plus, I take pictures. I have a deer I've killed except for maybe 10 or 15 I hunt solo so much. I had a little mini tripod. I'd strap it to a tree and and put my camera on it before I got a video camera. And I had a 30, 35 millimeter camera and and uh, was it thirty millimeter? I forget what it is. It's so old now. But I had a self timer on it. It just put on it and give me ten seconds to get in front of the camera and smile. So the majority of those pictures I'm posting on Instagram and Facebook or self self film, you know. I cut my head off a couple of times, <laughs> behind the picture or whatever, but I couldn't remember all that. There's no way. I, and, you know, I love my hunting so much. I, I sacrificed so much to t- for taking the time off and everything to hunt as much as I did. Uh, hunting 13 different states, normal for me to make three- and four-day hunts. I'd go off and live in my truck for three or four days hunting and then come back home and put up the meat and whatever and, and uh and get my gear ready and take a few days at the house and go back for another three or four days. It was just so important to me. And I just don't want to forget that stuff. And all these pictures, and then I take stats. You wouldn't believe all the stats I keep on all my hunts. Now, I just got I got so many uh, references that backs up other references. You can ask me a, a certain day or, uh, at the hunting season, ask me if I killed anything, and I tell you, you know, how I many I killed on that day throughout all the years and everything about them pretty much. So it's really important, and I, I encourage people to do this because I, if you hunt a long time and are really successful, you're really into it, and you're not going to remember all those hunts without pictures. You know, I got pictures of all those deer. I can go back and look at them, and I can cross-reference them, and I can look at a picture, and I can find the date, the time, how far the shot was, and everything about it, or I can go look at a certain uh, date and go find the picture. I can find the video since 91. It's just, it's fun, too. I got where I look forward to coming home and writing a story about, I might make a three-day hunt and not even get a shot, but I wrote about everything I did, where I was at, what I was doing, how I was set up, why I was set up there, and just got it all wrote down. And I think everybody has the ability to to write down an abbreviated uh, storyline of what took place on each hunt. I understand it's hard uh, to do that time-wise and fit it in, especially if you're traveling to and from your hunting location. But the pictures, I think what you've done, it just speaks to how important it is to take a good quality photo. I mean, somebody once told me uh, at one point in my my journey, it was like, don't don't just take a picture of you know whatever it is that you harvested. Like, make sure you're in that picture, right? Like, if you Say you shot a bunch of birds and you had them, um, you had them hung up, and don't just take a picture of that. Like make sure you or your buddies or, you know, whoever is in that photo so that you can remember. And I don't know if if you feel like you can remember based off what you were wearing or the bow you had in your hand or you know the backdrop. But I'm sure it helps, right, to add to that, uh, just your imagination now going back you know, 50 years ago to some of those hunts you know, along. Yeah, and I, with, uh, I can go read about them too, Matt. I can go read this whole story, and since '91, I can go look at the video at it. It's, it's just, it's in, it's incredible, and it's important too. Uh, I, I, I worked on the road a lot, you know, before I retired. I was a union electrician, and work gets slow. You had to go out of state and work and everything. I was working up in Tennessee in the control room, and I always brought my picture books. I got about 40 pounds of uh, picture albums. <laughs> 
I got like five different albums, and uh, you pick them up, they were about 30 to 35, maybe 40 pounds. And I uh-huh. took them with me on the road all the time. And, and uh, I was up in Tennessee, and their deer season was fixing to start. And I'd been in and out the control room. And, and that, you know, the operators and the plant people were used to seeing me, so it was getting close to deer season. So I, uh, <laughs> I uh, stepped, was having their shift change early morning and everything. The, the night shift was going in and day shift was coming on. And they was in there, and I waited, the meeting was over, and I just happened to be working in there. And I said, do we have any bow hunters in here? <laughs> and uh, they all turned around and looked at me, and, and one guy said, yes, yeah. that's one right there. And there was about three or four guys in there that bow hunted. And I, I asked him, I says, uh, how many deer you kill? And he said he killed 18 or something with a bow. And I said, well, that's good. And, everything. and one of those guys said, are you a bow hunter? And I said, yeah, I tried to a little bit. So I made you kill. And I, I think I'd killed about 140 at that time or something with a bow. And uh, he said, uh, boy, everybody started hooing and eyeing and everything, you know, pulling the britches legs up like it was getting really deep in there and everything. And I said, oh, I got some pictures I can bring out tomorrow. And I had a, a, a grip bag it hold all five of those albums in there. And uh, I, I said, it's kind of heavy. I'll bring it in tomorrow. Next morning, I walked in, the same guys were there, and I plopped it up on the table. And I said, there it is. And nothing gets credibility as good as pictures. When you got the picture and you're in the picture, nobody can say nothing about it. But if you just got, like you said, a picture of a bunch of birds or deer or a hog laying on the ground, you know, uh, that don't mean nothing. It, you got to include the hunter to tell the whole story. That's exactly right. That's that's a great that's a great analogy. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall to see some of those faces when you pulled those all those photos out and started sharing them. They were doing so, some ooh and ah, and I tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was. I'm sure they were in disbelief. But like you said, I mean, they it's uh, pictures worth a thousand words, right? It's how the oh, saying yeah, goes. But it's more than just the pictures. When you write your stories and you put down your kills and where you killed them at. And, you know, I hunt feed trees a whole lot. Those feed trees, you know, when they, I think they each got an individual drop time. You might have 15, 20 different water oaks in the same basic area, and they not all necessarily going to drop at the same time. If you go back and look where you where you killed on such and such a day, and you, that day's coming up to hunt in a couple of days, you go back and see where you killed deer during that date. And uh, if it's on oak trees, it's a good idea to go check that same tree, you know, a couple of years later maybe, and see if it still has acorns. And if it has acorns, it's still dropping at that time. So it's just a lot of little tricks that you learn. It's kind of just trying to be a woodsman, you know. That's great. Yeah, talk about, on that subject, talk about uh, just the, uh, I've heard about your stories of, you going in and not just like typically go and set up first thing in the morning when you go to a property, but instead walking around until you try to find like the right tree to set up on, on that particular hunt. Like talk about that. Cause I don't think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people for the most part, like they plan their hunt the next day, they show up, you know, before daylight, they climb a tree and then they hunt until lunch, they get down and then they might do it all over again that afternoon. Me and the guys I hunted with and around that thing, we were mobile hunting back in the, in the early 70s, you know, we, we, was, we had using homemade lock-on stands before they were ever ever manufactured and, and using spurs to climb with. And, uh, we, you know, we were just very, very mobile back in, like I say, the 70s. My, my deal with being mo- multiple hunts and everything is I would, I would get somewhere just at daylight on my first day. And I had an area I was, from my records and journals and stuff, I wanted to check out because of the right time of the year. And I would go in there with my stand on my back, my, my climbing device, and I would just scout, just in-season daily scouting is was really important to me. And I would scout until I found something or I didn't find nothing. And, uh, and usually I would find something, and if it was still a little early, I would climb on it right there. And I would hunt it for about three hours, and I'd get down, and then I would scout until dinner time, something like that. And during that scouting time, I might find three or four different places that's ready at that time, you know, back then. And I had to decide where I was going to hunt that evening. I'd hunt what I thought was the best of those three or four places, considering the wind and the morning or the evening and, and all that. And I'd just hunt what I thought best that evening. And then the next morning, 
I would hunt with another place I thought would be better for for a morning hunt, considering the wind and, and stuff like that, and areas, and if it's open flat or it's uh, SMZ or whatever, whatever best I thought at the time. And then when I made that hunt for about two or three hours, and I'd get down and I'd start walking again, I'd walk another two or four hours. Even though I found a couple of places to hunt the day before, I'm always looking for that best place. You know, I, I'm, it's hard for me to settle on a place. These hunts are very, very important. You only get so many a season. And you don't want to climb and hope. You want to climb and expect. And uh, the only way you can do that is make sure you're hunting the very best of what each area has to offer. Some areas don't have anything off. you got to change, go somewhere else. And you can't do this on small properties or little bitty clubs. It takes big, big public land property, national forests, big WMAs and stuff like that to do it. Yes, that's really important, just trying to pick the right location. And I, I've learned this hunting with a traditional bow. It's not even the location, but it's the right tree, especially if you're hunting from a tree or the right spot to sit on the ground. Uh, yeah. It, Texas, I mean, it's a, it's, you're in a, a game of yards. So, I mean, that's the important part is the closest, closest you can set up. Um, I mean, it's not going to give you, you don't get a shot opportunity at 30 or 40 yards, at least for most of us, I feel like. Podcast says it all inside 20. You know, that's, that's, right, it. that's right. That's right. That's when, that's when it gets fun, we think. So it's enjoyable. Well, you see their whiskers on their, on their uh, cheeks and everything and the eyelashes and all that. That's up close and personal. It puts a lot of pressure on a guy, especially a new guy just starting out. And that old guy like me, I still I still get real jittery. <laughs> that's, what, that's what makes it fun, though, right? Oh, yeah, that's that's for sure. I, I hunted lease, lease land and hunting club from 68 through the 82-83 season. And from the 83 season, I added public land hunting to the club hunting. And uh 1987, I was probably 80% hunting public land out of my truck since the 2005 season to now I hunt small private properties by invitation and that's just because my, my wife and I are old and she needs me at home I, she told me I had my years now these last years hers and she don't like being home with me going all the time so uh, I, I stay here I, I make day hunts now I, I hunt around the house and locally I'm not hunting out of state anymore and uh, I'm winding down that's good yeah I think the idea of uh you know you're in different seasons uh in your life and so being able to pivot and adapt and uh, i know i've talked about this a lot uh with just my circle of friends but uh the, the ability to have more than you know what you think's enough properties whether it's permission or places to hunt public land or maybe properties that you own but the more that you've got access to you know the, the more options you've got during those different seasons when you might have to hunt close to home or you can go on a you know, an overnight trip and, and hunt for three or four days. Uh, so it resonates with me too, just having a family. Uh, but with that said, I want to ask this question. So with a traditional bow from that standpoint, what I know at some point you, you had a traditional bow, you hunted with it, and then you, you swapped to a compound when that became, you know, something that uh, a lot of people were going to. And then you went back to a traditional bow uh, later on. I know in between there, you've hunted with a compound and a rifle, depending on the, the situation. But explain why you decided you wanted to go back to a traditional bow. What what lit that fire to give the compound up um, during that you know that season? Well, when I first started, you know, they didn't have compounds at all. And uh, you had a choice of either longbow or recurve. And I was always attracted to the, to the recurve. So, so I hunted with it until to a, to a compound bow for the 75 season. And uh, they had a guy that had a little archery behind his house, archery shop in Baton Rouge. And he knew me and knew my desire for hunting and everything. And I was just fixing to go to Colorado on a mule deer and elk hunt three days before, I mean, after he called me. And he told me that he got three compound bows in, and he was going to take one. And a friend of mine was going to take the other, other one, and he wanted to know if I wanted the third one. And I'd never seen one before. I'd, I'd read about them before, and I knew they were, were becoming available, and I knew that they had pulleys and wheels on them and all this cables and stuff like that. But I was interested in it, so I said, yeah. So I went ahead and, and got that compound bow. Well, that was 1975. Went to the compound in 75 and went back to a recurve bow for the 1993 season. And I had several reasons for going back to the reason. One of them, I had target panic real bad with a compound bow. Uh, I just had trouble putting a sight pin on it, and I was missing too many deer. And I, I figured since I couldn't 
using sight pens, uh, I would just take them off. And if I was going to take them off, I might as well go back to a traditional bow. Plus, you know, traditional bow hunt was on the rebound and becoming more popular. And I just love the simplicity of just a stick and a string. Even on my compound bow, you know, I had to reverse the wheel so I wouldn't have as much let off on it. And one of my bows, I used a sweatband for a rest. And another bow, I used a toothbrush head <laughs> for a rest. So I, I, I like it being simple and, and plain. And I had never shot a trad bow with a sight pins, and I wanted to experience that challenge also. That's great, yes. It kind of sets it up. And the next question really for me, based off of what we just talked about, what is uh, something that you do or on a regular basis? I think it's important to shoot, you know, during the off season, be prepared um, before you go into that, that first part of that season. Uh, and I've done, I haven't done it in the past and it's uh, just been, a, there's been results during the season of missed shots um, or poor shots on games. So what are some things that you do now currently from a practice standpoint or preparation with your gear or working out? Is there anything in, in that sense that you currently do or have done in the past leading up to deer season or hunting season in general? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I usually hang my bow up at the end of deer season, and I, I generally won't pick it up again until sometime after turkey season ends. But I've got a I've got an 80 target non typical 3D course on our property, and uh, I really enjoy shooting it almost on a daily basis once I pick my bow back up and uh i enjoy having the guys come over and shoot with me these targets i call them non-typical targets uh they're deer heads actually the the uh form for a white-tailed deer the, for a shoulder mount it's what they use to to put the hide on and all that to give you a deer mount well they were manufacturing those across the road from where we live and i went over there one day talking to the people and they had a pile of them out in the outside and everything, they asked them what they were going to do with them. And they, they said, uh, we're going to burn them. And I said, well, could I have them, you know? And uh, he gave me about 30 of them, I guess. He told me to take all I want. I got about 30 of them, and I started shooting them. And they worked so good. I mean, they stopped airs. They've been out in the woods now for about nine, ten years. They, uh, they hold up good in the weather. You can't shoot through them with a compound bow. So they're great and easy to pull out. And I got, like say, 80 of them scattered out in the woods, like a 3D course. And uh, no stakes to shoot from. And just kind of roam around. It's like, a lot like stump shooting without stump. It actually foam targets you can shoot at, you know. And then for years I started shooting from elevated stand in September. And this was for a couple of reasons. After all that shooting on the ground, it's definitely a different situation of shooting out of a stand. And uh, I always drilled a tree in my in my backyard there, and I would climb up, hang a stand, and uh, I'd practice shooting at those some of those targets I talked about. And before I got them, I would just put uh, just leaves or whatever I could see to shoot at down there. I've done this for years and years. And uh, not only does it help you get conditioned to shooting out of a tree, the elevated shot, it also helps you for conditioning. You know, I take about uh, 15, 16 arrows up in the tree with me, climb up there and uh, I, I get to shoot them all and I climb down and pick them all up and uh, you shoot three rounds like that. That's a lot of practice. And plus, not only are you you getting used to being elevated, you hadn't been elevated in a year almost from hunting. You know, it takes a little while to make that transition and get comfortable again. You got all of September to do that. Plus, you're getting in shape, climbing up and down. You're doing what it takes to hunt. And then by the by the time the season opens, it's actually like you've been hunting for a month already. So it, it, I found it very very beneficial. Yes, yeah, it's really good. I agree with you. You got to shoot how you're gonna how you're gonna actually you know pra practice how you're gonna play right in the season. You got to do that same uh, that same routine during the off season. I think it's important. Let me ask you this. So I, I mentioned that earlier, but from a, a workout standpoint, I've I've heard that you still, at 78 years old, still do cardio and maybe some uh, some workout routines just to stay in shape. Is that true? Yeah, not so much the cardio anymore. I used to walk a lot, but I got uh, it's been so hot and everything. I hadn't walked much this year and had some other little complications. But uh, with the exception of when I was in the Navy and other thing, I've trained with free weights since I was 15, and I I really believe it's the fountain of youth and older older a person gets the more important it becomes 
and uh, I've always worked out at home. I never went to a gym or nothing until about three years ago. And they, they opened a little gym about six and a half, seven miles from my house. So we've been, my wife and I have been making time for an hour a day, three days a week, working out at the local gym there. And I really believe in it. It's really important. Uh, actually, the older you get, the more you need to do it, you know, than you do when you're younger. When you're younger, you just hunt a week and you're in back in shape, and I think you can handle it pretty good. But once you get over to 50 or 55 age, I think it's very important, not only for being able to hunt, but be able to maintain your regular lifestyle. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. That's, that's good. It's inspiring for many of us. That truly is. So when I ask this, and this is something more from a, a personal standpoint, I've had some, uh, and I think everybody at some point goes through this if you if you hunt with a bow long enough, but had some mishaps over the years uh, and things that, you know, you learn. Sometimes your, uh, your best lessons learned are, are by mistake. So talk about this from a standpoint of, of misses or um, poor shots, you know, how, what is your percentage of success, you know, with a traditional bow specifically? Uh, do you know, know what that is based off of what information you, you put down over the years? Yeah, I, I got details on all my shots, how many I shot each season and, and how many hits I got and how many misses I got and how many recoveries and non-recoveries. I got all that down and I was, I was looking at them just a little while ago and uh, since it's, it's just so much now, thing, but a lot of it's kind of embarrassing because I never was that good of a shot. I, I always consider myself, I scored real high on everything it takes to be a successful bow hunter, except for the shot, the actual shot itself. I, had, I always struggled with that. So, uh, But I will say that the average kill shot for my wheel bow and my trad bow kills combined is 15 yards. So. You know, I've, I've shot some deer longer shots. I, mean, I kill a real nice buck on the ground scouting for a tree to hunt in, in uh, January. It was 40 yards. Stepped up with my recurve, stepped off 40 yards. But but that was uh, unusual. I probably could have shot 10 more times and not hit him. It just everything went together. <laughs> but uh, So I've taken some longer shots. I've done pretty good shooting out to 25 yards. Actually, I do better shooting uh, 18 to 20. Two, two, say, you know, inside and outside of 20 a little bit than I do uh, 10 yards and in. I have I struggle with those 10 yards and in shots. So deer are just so close, and I have shot over a bunch of them. But as far as the percentage and other things, the, the, uh, when I went back to recurve, it was the 1993 season, and uh, I shot, uh, I had 100% recovery on on one, two, three, Three year, first three years, I had 81% recovered the fourth year, 83% recovered the next year, 91, 83, 100%, 83. I've been going through the years, 100%, 84%, 100%, 84%, 100%, 84%. And then I just quit, I quit figuring it up and everything. So I don't know, oh. you could say I probably got a, a 80, 80% coverage rate on, on deer I've shot. That's great. That's really good. It's. And, the best basketball shooter in the world, he, he, he's good to shoot about 50%, huh? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. I think the average person is, too. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of opportunity for things to, to go south, um, and that's what earlier, like we talked about, I think practice makes a big it makes a big difference. But even then, like shooting at a target is totally different, like you know, than shooting at uh, a live animal, and that's where that target panic comes into play. And it's oh, hard it's, to it's, manage that. It's so Have stressful. you found you found a trick i heard somebody once say that they tell themselves that it's not going to work out like right before they feel like they're going to get a shot like something's you know closing the distance is coming to you or it's you know it's all about to unfold and they're like well it's not going to work out it's not going to work out and that helps them calm down have you is there anything like that from a mental game standpoint that you've you figured out this this helps me out or no i can tell i'm lying to myself <laughs> but uh uh uh, my problem is the last half inch of the draw, about a half inch or a half inch before I get to anchor. I'm cool. Everything's, I'm watching the deer come in. Of course, sometimes if you just look around and they're there, you don't have time to think about it. You just right. you just instinct do what you do, you know, just from years of shooting. And sometimes if they way out there and they hang up a little bit, the longer it takes to come in, the harder it is to shoot them and everything. But my deal was, when I started drawing, I was perfectly calm. 
and everything's coming together, and I I get back to a couple of inches before I reach anchor, and I start doubting myself. And then I had that pin pan there. I couldn't put a pin on it and everything. But uh, I, I will say right now, this this summer shooting and everything, I'm shooting the best I ever have shot. So maybe I get to shoot one this year and see if I can hit him. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you will. I'm, I look forward to getting that update at some point uh, this season. I'm sure it'll come together. It's uh, it's it's inspiring uh, to hear all this and the stories and the ability of what you've been able to accomplish all these years. It's uh, it's something that we all look uh, to try to do, you know, in uh, in, their, in our own personal journeys. Um, and that's being successful is uh, is sometimes it's hard to it's hard to find that in in some cases. So, uh, just well, I, I tell you, I've had some great hunting partners too. I've done a lot of solo hunting. I don't know what percentage of my hunting is solo, but it's been pr- pretty high. But I've had I've had some really really good hunting pr- partners and everything. And, Two in particular, you know, it's just, just I can't say enough about how good they are and, and how, how dependable they were and everything. We just shared so much time together. One in particular, one, you know, I hunted a few years with him, not as much as that one guy. We've been together hunting since uh, the 70s, you know, and uh, it just made all the difference in the world. We learned from each other and, and uh, always got each other's backs. You know, my prime years were from 77 to 97 that's when i killed a majority of my deer the 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 legal limits were so much easier and better for a person who liked to kill a lot of deer and everything and seemed like the later years the more difficult it's become and of course that aging process too i just physically my hunting style was extremely physical i mean you just go from daylight to dark and uh trying 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 climbing trying you know and uh if I'd if I'd miss a deer, you know, I didn't worry about that much. Uh, I, I hate missing, but I'd say, well, you know, I thought I was a good enough hunter to shoot another one the next day, actually, you know, so I wasn't worried about it. And the two guys I'm talking about, they didn't have any shooting problems at all. <laughs> I was and the one with the shooting problems. Yeah, yes. Lord Foreman and Carol Horn, they they, uh, they are unbelievable. I could tell I could tell stories all night about them too. And those two guys, they were. They, now let me ask you this: Were you all hunting together most of the time, or just on the same property and you all know, split up, or just same. they just ended? Lord okay. and I filmed together a lot. You know, we got we got video cameras in '91, and uh, we took turns filming each other for a few years and everything. Actually, you know, Lord's a big man. Back he's over 300 now, but he still climbs like a darn bear you know he, back when we was hunting in our prime i think he was probably about 230 to 240 something like that and we was actually in a little bitty lock on stands up in a tree and we decided to change stands without climbing down <laughs> it's like going from a driver's seat to a passenger seat you know <laughs> two guys swapping in the car we was on two stands and in, in two trees close to each other i, I love to have film of that that was something <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's it's fun to hunt with your buddies i've done that some in the past and it's uh it, i don't know it changes the way deer season feels most of the time i, I feel like you're by yourself a lot and especially if you right. enjoy that social time and be, even being on the same property and getting experience of recovery together or walking out yeah. together talking about what you saw it uh yeah. it heightens the uh the definitely the fun i think yeah we uh we usually split up you know we would meet we'd have, have one place we'd have an upper meeting place and a lower meeting place you know it's so big and uh, we'd go in, and it, we just—he was so dependable, you know. Just we—you just could count on him when you needed him. He was always there. He never got too cold, never too hot, never too high, never too hard. Uh, it just—I can't say enough about Lord Foreman and, and Carol Horn. He's a deer killing machine. I'm gonna tell you that. <laughs> Is that true? I love it. Oh Lord, that's awesome. I love it. That's. That's some good stuff. I'll talk about this, uh, you, and I think I've heard the story already, but uh, tell us about one of the biggest heartbreaks you had. It was a hunt, I think, with a big deer, um, and, it, I, and that wasn't initially the uh, the direction that I thought we would go, but talk about uh, talk about that hunt and how that went, and, and just from a, a recovery standpoint, what you did to bounce back from that. Well, you know, I've had a lot of experiences, a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones, and uh, but one that was really incredible, and, and uh, it didn't turn out the way I wanted to. But I, I, I'd made a hunt 
this is my second hunt here, and I killed a deer out of the same tree on on the first hunt. And it wasn't the next day, but a couple of days later, I went back to the same place. So I was familiar with the area. And I was set up, you know, several yards, probably maybe 50, 70 yards out from a cutover that was probably waist high and, and uh, out in that cutover. Killed that deer on, when he passed through at a certain spot. And I remember where I shot him at and everything. But anyway, just before dark, you know, I, I looked out in that cutover and I looked, saw something that looked like it was a 55-gallon barrel or drum out in that cutover. And I couldn't understand why I was just uh, seeing it. You know, I'd been sitting there for three hours and, and uh, all of a sudden, there's this 55-gallon drum looking out there. And then uh, all of a sudden, the, the barrel turned into a deer. And, and he stood up. He was laying down, and I couldn't see it. His head was down, so I couldn't see it. And uh, I saw it had a huge body, and, but the horns were unreal. And it was, it was like a, a owl deer or something like that, you know. And just a huge buck. And uh, he was right in that cutover. He got up, and he shook his head a little bit and started my way. And, and uh, you know, I got to figure my shot, and I I could tell he was on the same trail that I'd killed that other deer on, and I knew it was 30 yards. And I started preparing myself a shot, and when he got close enough, I went ahead and anchored and got on him, and I was tracking him while he was walking through the trees. But once he left the cutover, and he was headed for my, that little alley, that little shooting trail I shot on, and I kept telling myself, 30 yards, 30 yards, aim, aim. But when he stepped out a second before the shot, I second-guessed myself and shot for 35. And uh, this was with a wheelbow. And I watched that arrow go six inches over the top of him, right behind his shoulder. And, he, and at the shot, he kind of dropped down and rolled off and away from my shot, and he vanished. Never saw him again. Man, it was just a lifetime book. I just missed him. Missed him and uh, when I got down, I stepped off the shot and confirmed it had been Indeed, 30 yards, so uh, if I'd have just shot like I was telling myself to do, I'd probably been able to show the horns to somebody. Mm, that's, that's tough. I, uh... Yeah, it, get over it. You know, I said, it, it bothered me. I ain't losing no sleep over it, though. I, 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 was just, I was just looking for the next shot, basically. That's good. Yeah, that, and that's the thing is it seems like from your approach, just going out and, and not just chasing the same deer all season, um, or, you know, uh, a certain caliber deal, like you just, you're going out and you're trying to, you're trying to shoot whatever you get an opportunity at and, and try and really going for, you know, the ability to, um, you know, kill as, as many deer as you can. Right. And so at, at that point, it's like, you get a lot of opportunities and, um, and, and within those opportunities, you've had a lot of success, but it's hard when you, when you're just going after one, if it doesn't work out. Right. Yeah, I'm, I've always been an equal opportunity shooter. You know, I, I give them all a chance to get shot at. And uh, if I had, if I'd have just focused on big deer, you know, big trophy bucks, material bucks, I, I'd missed out on a lot of fun. You know, all the deer I've killed, there's no way I could have killed a, a fraction of those deer if I'd just been buck hunting. And for me, the, the kill is a payday for all your time, effort, energy, and expense to to hunt you know and if you just sit and watch them go by you know I, I watch them on tv watch somebody else shoot them. i want to do that i like to find out where they at set up on them have them come in like i expected them to and make that shot and then recover the deer that's what it's all about to me and uh, i i figured out a long time ago i'd rather t- kill 10 regular deer than i would one real good deer and hunting as many years as I did, as much time I spent in the woods hunting, you know, it was just inevitable for me to kill a few bucks along the way. And I've killed, you know, uh, and I don't shoot does at all with my rifle. I think in my lifetime I killed 10 for one reason or another. But uh, I love to shoot down with a bow. They're harder to kill than a, than a mature buck is. Yeah, I agree with that. It's nothing like a an old wise doe it's uh especially one that's probably that's probably outsmarted a lot of other hunters in the woods it makes it really tough and yeah, she's more active in, in the daylight hours that's the only thing that makes her easier to kill you know and she's right. raising fawns and teaching them how to eat and travel and get around and what to do and what not to do and that old buck he ain't worried about nobody but himself you know and he'll he'll get ready to travel and he'll stand there maybe 10 15 minutes just staring and, and smelling and listening 
And then once he makes up his mind, he's satisfied that he's safe. He just strides. He just walks without even, even most of the time without. When that doe, she's sneaking when she's walking. She's looking up every tree and behind every tree. She's looking for boogers, trying to protect that pond, uh, that fawn, and stay safe. <laughs> That's true. That's so true. That's true. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating just the way they act and uh, and just how they can give you the slip sometimes or bust you, pick you out in a tree. It's that's used mind boggling. It's like, how did that, how that doe see me? I wasn't even moving. I was sitting here and that, all these other trees she could be looking up at. She looks up at me. It's uh, it can be frustrating though in the moment. That's yeah, sure. They're amazing. They really are. They, they, are. they, they are. They, they can, they can realize real quickly. There's something out of place. It seems like. So let me ask you this. Uh, I, I, uh, this is, is skipping around a little bit on my end, but from a, uh, arrow selection standpoint like what what do you like to shoot is it wood carbon aluminum what what's some things that from that side and then also broadheads uh you know, two blade three blade or uh, does it even matter to you <laughs> like i say i'm not very technical and uh i don't know all them stats and everything to me uh i've, I've shot uh carbon air not carbon uh uh fiberglass hairs back in the old days and i never shot wood i never Never liked the idea of shooting wood arrows, and uh, I've start went to carbon arrows, and uh, I've had one of I've had aluminum and carbon both in my quiver at the same time with different broadheads. When I hunted with a wheel bow, I like to use I like to use a three blade head and uh, replaceable blades in it and everything. Not not expandable blades, just replaceable blades, and uh, I, I shot those out of a compound bow. But before I went to a compound, I shot bare razor heads. Just a two blade. I didn't even use a bleeder blade. I just used a bare razor heads. And then after my compound days were over with, and I went back to a recurve, I started shooting Zwickies and Magnus and, and two-bladed heads only. And, and the arrows now, you know, like I say, I look, look at my quiver right now. I, I got... Uh, I got a aluminum and and three carbon arrows in it right now, so you know I'm not particular as long as it's all gone. I mean you're shooting deer ten ten to twenty yards basically, and uh, that's not that far, and you're gonna you're gonna get good impact if you hit him right in the right place and everything. And, and uh, as long as the arrows fly straight, don't do any fish tailing or, or side planing or whatever. You know, just a good clean air. And a broadhead sharp, I'm good. I'm not worried about it. That's good. And with that, let me ask you this. So from somebody who's might be listening to this and they're thinking about getting started in traditional archery or somebody who's just starting out, what's you gotta give one one piece of advice, word of advice, what would that be? You know, most of the guys now are coming from a compound that hadn't already shot a traditional bow, they come from a compound. And the, it's it's a lot different, you know. It's, it's simple, and I think a lot of guys try to make too big a deal out of shooting traditional with a tuning and this, that, and the other. It's not a compound bow. I know you still got to tune it. You got to have the right airs, and you got to have airs balanced and all that. But like I said before, if that air is flying straight and true, and uh, and your broadheads are sharp, you're going to be pretty good. Uh, it'd be nice to have a using broadheads that shoot just like your field points and everything, but. I think the main thing is don't expect too much too soon, too much success. That is anyway. It, it even if you're a, a, a seasoned hunter with a compound bow, if you go to that go to that tread bow and everything, it's going to take a while. It's, it's like an apprenticeship program, and your first short, four years is going to be learning, and you're going to have to develop a style of shooting. And I don't recommend you anybody. Listen to somebody else tell them how to shoot. I think you should shoot the bow. You can get a few little hints on, on form and stuff like that. But everybody needs to shoot what feels best for them. I, the Internet hurt my shooting more than anything. When I got on a computer and started going to these traditional bow sites and everything, you got all these experts that shoot really good. And, and I'm not trying to mock them anything. They do shoot good. But they have a, a style that I don't consider to be hunter-friendly. I think it's more like a target style. And it's a whole lot different shooting a deer than it is a target. I th- I, I shoot, I'm a snap shooter, basically. I, I shoot real quick down the thing. I let it go when it feels right. 
And uh, I've been shooting pretty darn good this year, and I, I'm really happy about it. Probably the best I ever shot. But I shoot what feels good to me. And if you practice what feels to, good to you and you do the same way every time, you're going to be good. But give yourself four years. Don't give up on it after after the uh, first year or so. If I could get that brings me to a little old story. When I first went back to a, a trad bow, you know, I'd kill I killed a lot of deer with a compound during the years I used it, and, and I've hunted with a trad bow more than I have a compound. And but I made a commitment once I decided I was going to go back to a recurve. I made a commitment. I said, you know, if I don't kill a deer, if I miss every deer I shoot at, I'm gonna hunt the whole season with this recurve. And I bought a new and just bow, and I didn't have it anymore. And I said, the whole season, well, I made a hunt in South Carolina. This season opened up in, in uh, uh, September the 15th, and it was bucks only at first. And there was no daily limit, no season limit. And uh, me and a couple of the guys went over there and had a connection. One of the guys had a connection over there and went over and hunted on some uh, private land. And uh, I, was hunting, I brought that recurve, and I, I hunted. We were there for four days, I believe. And I shot at and missed three rack bucks. You know, two of the bucks were kind of distant. They were over 25 yards, and another one was 15 yards. And I shot right under him. In fact, when I shot, it went right under his chest cavity, right behind his front leg, and hit a tree. And that air vibrated and thumped him on the chest. <laughs> he got out of Dodge quick. But uh, I made that commitment. But all the way home, and, and it was our season didn't start till October the 1st, and I said, you know, I said, do I really want to do this? I said, I didn't miss three racks bucks in the season. I ain't even started, basically. But I'm, I held to my guns, and I I killed uh, I killed six deer, six bucks and three does that first year with that, with that uh, recurve I went back to. And I said, well, I'm hooked, you know. And, and I'd never shot with sights on a recurve before. During the old days, when I first shot them, they, uh, it was common for people to use sight pins on, on a traditional bow. Maybe not a longbow as much as a recurve, but just about everybody shooting recurve had sight pins. And I had never done that. I never shot a, a, a traditional bow without without sight pins. So that was another challenge for me to want to go back and do it because that was the expected thing when I went back in 1993 season to shoot at bare bow. And uh, I liked it a lot better. It's just so more simple. I like the simplicity of it, and it's just... It just fits your hand. At Acadian Woods, I, I got a hunted with it since that 94 season, and it was like an extension of my left hand. You know, I just had it with me so much. It's inspiring. It really is. I think it's it's a true testament that grit, it, uh, it'll it overcome uh, failure in the end, and it just takes drive and determination at the end of the day. And yeah, just seems- give it a chance. You know, that's the same way I went to a saddle. Uh, you know, I said I'm, I tried one back in 2003 of, four or something like that but that thing was terrible it was worse than it was heavier than my regular lock on stand and uh, I, I sold it in 30 minutes i found somebody buy it in 30 minutes after i tried it so uh, it was a little leery about going back to a saddle in 2016 but i said i'm gonna make a commitment you know and uh i, I went back mainly for the safety aspect I, i'm getting too old to be falling out of trees or sliding down trees or whatever and uh if you use them saddles right, correctly, the way they're supposed to be used, it's impossible to fall. So that's why I originally went back to it. And then once I went to it, I realized the comfort of it. And, and, uh, and you know, it it's, it's offers more than just safety, too. You got to give stuff a chance, that's for sure. I mean, that's, uh, that's and things improve, too, over time. I'm sure, like, the saddles where they're at now is a lot different than when they were back then. Uh, and just the, uh, um, the ingenuity behind that, I think, come a long ways. Yeah, everything's improved. I, I, a big problem me was those headlights. Well, you know, I did it for so long, and and I, I watched stuff, and I tried to educate myself as much as I could on new things coming out. And I got, I got one of those uh, lighted sight pins for my compound, the first lighted sight pin ever offered for sale. I bought it, and I said, man, this is cool. You know, at low light coming in, them deer coming in at low light. And that worked out good. And then I had to come up with a pendulum sight for a compound bow. I got it, and it worked out really good too. It worked good. And uh, and then the, the flashlights, you know, way Lord and I hunting that thing. We go in place way before uh, daylight. Take an hour, an hour and a half to walk in there where we was gonna hunt. And then we stay in all day, and then come out after dark. And uh, 
and then take an hour or so to walk out, an hour and a half after we filled quarter deer and packed them out and everything. And we was out buying those little six-volt batteries. I mean, they, they just didn't hold up long enough, so Lloyd come up with that coon hunter battery. Darn battery weighed almost as much as my stand did. <laughs> but we could, we could get 12 hours out of it. We could run it for 12 hours, and that would take care of a four-day hunt, you know. And uh, But when they come out with those those LED lights, man, it was like a, the world changed for us, man. It was just great. We became huge LED light fans. And then with the cameras, when the LED, uh, not LED, when the, uh, the digital dig- cameras came yeah, out. Man, I bought the first one I ever heard of. It was $300, $305 for this camera, and it was only two megapixels. <laughs> <laughs> I took thousands and thousands of pictures with that little old camera, man. It was just unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, I thought about it a little bit, and I said I had a computer then, and I said, you know, I can, uh, I can take a, a hundred pictures for the same effort and time and money it takes to take one with the other one, you know. And uh, I said it's just cheaper. You can keep, store it in your computer. You can you can print it out. You can. Oh, it just it just had so many features. You know, I always took pictures, you know, of my deer, but not as much of my hunts as I did once I got that camera. I think I got it in 2002. Of course, I've got better digital cameras now. Now the phone's almost as good as as uh, cameras are, and and uh, it's just I, I like progression. I like, but they got a lot of junk out there too. You know, a lot of stupid stuff that you don't really need. That's right. Yeah, you got to watch for that. But now, I mean, back to the point we talked about earlier, the cam- cameras have come a long ways and everybody's got a phone and most now every phone's got a camera. Uh, I don't know anybody, I think, with, without a camera on their phone. So you, you don't have an excuse you know, not to take a picture of, uh, of something that you've harvested uh, just from you know being able to go back and look at it years down the road. Uh, I guess you'd have to have some type of a, with a phone, some type of a stand or uh, strap, which I know somebody makes it that you could put up to uh, to take a photo of yourself if nobody's with you. But hopefully you find somebody to take a picture of you with the with whatever critter that is that you've you've had a opportunity to harvest. Those are pictures uh, with the kills were more so important to me. I wouldn't let anybody take a picture of me with it. If I had somebody home, Lloyd's a different. Lloyd's got a real steady hand. He's got a he's got a good uh, head on his shoulder about what to expect a picture to be. You know. And other thing, but anybody else, I didn't trust them taking. And people cut your head off and cut the deer's horns out. And other thing, they don't, a lot of people had no idea what it takes to take a quality picture. Not yes. that I'm an expert or nothing like that, but I want to have the best picture I can take with the camera I got anyway. That's and I, right. I, I got a little thing I screw in a tree and set a little converter on there. It goes from that to my that set my video camera or my regular camera. Or my, or my phone, I can do my phone with it too, and uh, I screw that thing in a tree and I set up. It it might take me thirty minutes to just take some pictures and video, you know. But uh, I mean, you, you spend days and hours trying to kill a deer. Why not spend a little time taking some pictures and recording the story and, and writing and stats and stuff, so you re- remember it down the road sometime. Yeah, you got me on the road now. <laughs> yeah, I know that's exactly right. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm definitely. I feel the passion. And I, th- I see the importance of it. And so it's uh, it's good. I think it's good for a lot of people to hear that. I'll ask this question. This is something that I've been wanting to know. So I know you like to use the bed of your truck. You've talked about you know doing overnight uh, trips and hunting trips. And so using your, your truck, quote unquote, as, as base camp uh, and, and have that as you know several different hunting rigs. So what or who inspired that idea back then? Because now a lot of people do it and you see a lot of it on these different shows, a lot of people are doing that. Um, so who at that point in time, you, you kind of gave you that, that fire to want to try that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it was born out of necessity actually, you know, before the 83, 84 season, you know, the majority of my hunting had been in clubs, you know, using either a tent or a hunting camp. That all changed when I started hunting public land, uh, using a tent had left a lot to be desired. And I was hunting out of my 74 Bronco. And I figured out how to adapt it and use it for overnight parking. And even though it left a lot to be desired, but uh, what I did on that Ford Bronco, I, I had a sheet of plywood spanning the back behind the two front seats, no back seat, and it went from left window to right window on that shelf up there. And then I had a, 
uh, storage underneath it, and I slept on top of it, and I'd take that right passenger seat, and I'd fold it over, it, it folded over and stuck up, you know, where it give you more room to get in the back seat, actually. And I'd run a sheet of plywood, not a sheet, a, a strip of plywood down from my, my dashboard on my Bronco over that seat, and I had to shim it up a little bit with a two-by-four between that sheet and the, and the seat folded over, and it went down to the back of that plywood. And I sat there with my head up at the windshield, and, uh, you know, that left a lot to be desired, but it worked. But I could see the advantage of hunting out of a vehicle. You know, everything you need is in your vehicle. So the next year, I bought me a new Ford four-wheel drive pickup truck, short bed. And I uh, had, had a real good bed made for me. In fact, a friend of mine, a hunting friend of mine, was a cabinet maker, and he made me the frame for a bed. I got a real good mattress. They're probably as good as what I sleep at at the house. And, uh, and I put got a camper hull of course and i had a reading light on my one end on the cab side of it back there and i had a tailgate light on the other end i had plywood floor plywood on the bottom of it with carpet on it and uh it, it was just home away from home i mean it was comfortable and every time i spent a night in it i took a marshal lot and i'd make a hash mark on the on the inside of the wall of it and uh i'd go like five you know four and a, one one across and I actually spent through the years. I spent over 1,100 nights in that in that truck from from when I had. I, I don't remember. I, I sold it. I, I basically gave it to my wife's nephew for what I'd put in it to get rid of the seeds. And I got scared of it, so I, my son was going to sell sell his truck. His family was getting too big for it, and I bought his truck and set it up the same way. And then I got the same truck I got now, set up the same way, but. It, it works perfect, no matter which way where you park, uh, which way you you facing the, the the front of your truck. Down thing, it's all same on the inside. I got I got black curtains all around inside that I can take down or put up and everything. I'd always left them up, and uh, I got privacy in there. It, it, me and everything I own's in the truck, and uh, just you don't have to worry about finding anything. And, and uh, like I say. Been over 1,100 nights in that first one I had like that. It works out good. Oh, that's great. This is uh, I've I've truly enjoyed our time together. I've got one more question I want to close with, and that's: Is there anything that over the years that you would have done different from a hunting standpoint? If you go back now, any kind of uh, things that you would change? Not really. <laughs> uh, I put a lot of planning in what I did and how I did it and everything, and I don't see how I could have changed it anyway. It's, it's, I've had a wonderful life. I've got a wonderful family. I was a little selfish back in those days of my prime and everything, but my family, you know, they didn't suffer too bad from it. I always had plenty to eat. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, That's good. But uh, I, 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 I love what I've done. I, I'm not. A, I'm proud of what I've accomplished and everything, and I just love to go back and do it all over again. Yeah, it's I love reading stories and I I look forward to all the ones you're gonna post in the future and it's just it's it's uh it's amazing to sit there and be able to read something, see those pictures and, and just feel like you're you were there, right? And uh and it's like sitting around a campfire, I guess, and listen to a good story with a group of guys. So just keep doing that because it's it's inspired me. I know it's inspired a, a bunch of other people as well and it'll continue well, to I appreciate that. that. I really do. You know, it's just it's nothing fancy. It's just kind of like a, a journal of what happened during that particular time. But the only reason I posted those on there, I, I started doing that last year. I don't know how far you went back on my Facebook page, but I started back a year ago uh, in, I think it was August or July, posting stories. And then when, once the season started, I quit. You know, They had so much people killing deer and I, I didn't want to take anything away from what, what everybody's doing then with my old history and stuff. So it was just something to share to kind of maybe give somebody a pump them up a little bit about the upcoming season and maybe throw a few hints out something that they could take and use to help them have a more successful season. No, I love so what it. I'm a, I got about three or four more I'm going to post. You know, I post them on Tuesday, on, on Mondays and Thursdays. I post them on Monday and Thursday. And uh, I got a couple more I'm gonna do, and then I'm gonna back off for the hunting season. And uh, I, I don't want, I don't want to, I want to let it be time for everybody else showing what they're killing and talking about what they're doing. Well, I love it. And anybody that listens to this, all you got to do is go on and 
uh, friend request Warren Womack on Facebook. He's also got an Instagram account. It's Warren Womack. There's no extra numbers or letters in there. And you can look at, he said earlier before we uh, started recording, he said 800 to 900 photos uh, that you've posted for, from over the years on that Instagram page. Is that right? And also YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah, give or take us around eight or 900 somewhere. I don't remember exactly. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, that's, you could spend a lot of time going through that. And uh, so anybody that listens to this, you need to check it out. I, I haven't seen the Instagram page yet personally, but I know that's, that's going to be something next on my docket. I want to close in just a word of prayer, if, if it's okay with you. Um, Absolutely. I just uh, want to do that real quick. So I want to say thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity of, of fellowship. Just thank you for Mr. Warren, his family. Just thank you for just the life that um, he's lived and continuing to guide him and just give him a, a life of um, of health and uh, just opportunity, Lord. Just thank you for his uh, desire to want to share the things that he's learned over the years and not you know covet that and just uh, the time that he's willing to give. Uh, we know that in life that time is very valuable and it uh, continues to get more and more valuable as our life goes on. And so we just want to say thank you for that. I ask you to continue to guide his life, um, just continue to, to be with him and his health, uh, just continue to just uh, watch over him and his family, Lord. Uh, just thank you for just today and the opportunity to get together. Um, ask that you continue to be with us and uh, continue to keep all the, the listeners safe and guide their lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Warren. I look forward to catching up with you this season uh, and seeing those deer that you you get the, an opportunity to, to shoot at. <laughs> well, I hope you all have a good one, and I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I'm, uh, it's, a, it's an honor for me. Well, thank you. It's an honor for us. Mm-hmm.